Blackwater, the Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, the Flying Tigers, the Swiss Guard, the White Company, the Knights Templar, the Varangian Guard, Clerkus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, and Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, guns for hire, soldiers of fortune, private military companies, private security contractors, dirty deeds done not so dirt cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They've been around for a very long time and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up and accept it or move to another planet. Because in this world, folks, money trumps everything. And like it or not, wars are good for business. History tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means of oppression and tyranny than by any other means. Oppression and tyranny, folks, money, profits and propaganda, call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning. So remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. Life as a private security contractor in a hostile or a war-torn zone, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good, nah, some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. And in the Middle East, land of enchantment, land of mystery, land of the ancient ones. Where it all began, who knows? But if you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region, or the Middle East North Africa region. Yep, the Mediterranean. And so we are still in the country of Kuwait. And Kuwait, like any other country outside your home country, well, it takes friends, friends, and more friends. Even if they're not truly your friends, as long as they like you for the performance, for the job you do, which is, when you get right down to it, folks, okay, that's what you're being paid for. That's why you were hired to do your job. So as long as you're doing a good job and they like you because you do a good job, that's really, in the end analysis, what really matters. Because when that's over, when it's done and you go back home, okay, when you call it quits, when you hang up the guns, however you want to refer to it, okay, you still retain some of those friendships that you made, okay? Not everybody wants to... Uh, live with you, <laughs> okay? They don't want to all be around you 24-7. I mean, let's be honest, right? But when you're done and you get home, okay, you're going to maintain some of those relationships. And for some of us, we maintain a lot of them. Some more frequent than others, but we maintain them, at least as best we can. But if you're a married man and or you have children, okay, ultimately, 
that's where your ultimate oath lies. And that's when you go back home, that's where you've landed. You've come back home. You've come full circle. And that's when some say, and probably rightly so, the real battle begins. And without going into too much detail or getting too sidetracked or going too far off the rails here, I know from my personal experience and listening to the experiences of others, that's where my biggest struggles, my biggest war was. The adjustment, the readjusting, and it took years. In fact, it has been almost eight years now since I hung it up. Okay, almost eight years. And I'm still struggling, still fighting the good fight inside. Getting rid of all that dark stuff, all that rage, all that pent-up stuff that I had to suppress and repress and put aside. Okay, call it mental blocking, compartmentalizing, segregating, focusing, whatever it was. All that stuff that I endured and encountered, like so many of us, okay, that's where the real fight began, the real struggle. Okay, it's way better, and I think those of us that are still fighting the good fight know that. Okay, and it's got to keep that stuff in mind. So again, without going too far off the rails, we'll come back to that stuff later. But that's where the struggles really are. And in hindsight, when you look back at whatever struggles you had overseas, yeah, for some of these people, some of us, we have some stuff that will haunt us forever. Never go away. Okay, you can't ever undo it. You can't ever get rid of it. It's always going to be there. Nothing we can do to get rid of it. <clears throat> Unless you want to be brainwashed. Okay, have that somehow surgically removed from your brain. That said, the only things we can do is to keep on going. Focus on what's in front of us. Just like we did in our job or mission. Okay, focus on what's in front of you. Be happy and grateful for what you have. Okay, same thing. So it was, whether it was Kuwait, Iraq, or Afghanistan, or any place else that I landed, ventured out to, in transit, um, <laughs> whether it was protracted or not. Uh, but yeah, so Kuwait was a, ma for me, it was almost a magical thing. I mean, there I was for the first time, feet on the ground, the sand, whatever you want to call it, okay, and taking a look at the stuff physically, seeing, hearing, feeling, sensing what I had seen and read for years, okay, and it was amazing. Uh, for the most part, I really can't think of a bad episode outside on what we used to call the economy, okay, so in my off time, when I did venture out, uh, there were a few times when I kind of like, mm, I don't know. But, I mean, we're talking Kuwait. It really, I was really amazed, amazed. And to this day, I'm still impressed with their level of law and order, their sense of purpose, their sense of the way things should be. I mean, it was, for the most part, it was a clean city, dirty from the sand. Yeah, but, you know, it, that, that's a whole different thing. And that's just the sand. But, I mean, it was clean. It was otherwise safe. You otherwise felt safe out there. That's not to say that especially as a Westerner, and in particular an American, that you didn't have to look over your shoulders and uh, be wary and be cautious of things. You did. 
You had to be careful what you said. You had to be careful where you go. You know, there were things you had to, you know, you had to do. You had to just be, and, and you tried to go with at least one other person. That was probably the best way to do it, although I frequently went out on my own. Because, um, you know, you go, anyway, so that's, but Kuwait was an interesting place. And, you know, like I think I've mentioned before or obliquely referenced, I learned an awful lot from my first time there. And arguably, that is what set me up for success as a private security contractor as I moved into Iraq and went to Afghanistan, back to Iraq, back to Afghanistan. But without that experience, without the time in Kuwait, um, getting uh, my elbows dirty, if you will, my hands dirty, uh, and learning from the people that had been in, been in those places and other places, that experience set me up for my future success. And so for anybody out there that's considering being becoming a private security contractor, unless you've got one of those super high-speed elite backgrounds, you're probably going to need or want something to get your feet wet, okay, and determine whether this is really something you want to do. So unless you've been around the world a lot, off the postcard tour, in the down, dirty stuff, out there by yourself without a guide, um, and, and especially in an area where they don't particularly take kindly to strangers or Americans, you're, you're going to want to start off easy, okay? Because you may, and, and some of us who've been over there, we know this to be true. We saw people, some would say many or a lot, that within weeks or months, they said, yeah, this isn't for me. You could tell they didn't belong there. They shouldn't be there. Just, okay, and we're not, and it's not saying this to be disparaging, but let's face it, okay, just like the military or law enforcement or many other professions, there are some people that are cut out for it and many more who are not. Yeah, you want to, yeah, you, you romanticize it, you think it'd be this, that, one thing, another, but I'm here to tell you, if you've not experienced it, it is almost never the way it's portrayed in books or movies, okay? <laughs> and any of those that are listening that have been there, you know that. In fact, I've read some stuff, people I'm coming to know, I mean, they told tales of stuff here in America, you know, the stuff that's been going on for a while, and it's like, man, am I glad, you know, and I've been to some of these cities, you know, uh, in the past, and they were never exactly a, a postcard tour, you know, you didn't exactly want a vacation there, but they were, you know, there were, but today, you know, and they're calling them war zones, so, but they can, they, they, they're doing these jobs as private security contractors here in America based on their instruction, training, and their experiences in hostile or war zones Okay, so they've got what it takes to do it pretty much wherever. Okay, you simply have to adapt to the climate, the culture, this, you know, the, the, the little nuanced things that you pick up pretty quickly. Okay, so for any of those uh, that are thinking or, or considering life as a private security contractor, whether you've been in the military or not, it is different. There's a lot of things that are different because you are now a civilian. Okay. You're no longer a soldier. You're no longer an airman. You're no longer a seaman. Okay. You are now a civilian. Okay. And so rules that didn't apply to you when you were in the military now apply. 
and <clears throat> certain things are considered privileges as a civilian that you wouldn't necessarily get if you were in the military. So there's so there's a lot of little nuanced things that that distinguish being a member in the military service versus being a civilian and a private security contractor. Now, if you look at war zones, if you truly got a quote-unquote war going on, a conflict, whatever you want to call it, however you want to refer to it, okay, where there's military units out there fighting or engaging each other in whatever form, civil war, whatever you want to call it, okay, things are different. Life is different, okay. So, um, you know, people talk about the old days in Iraq, okay, and by that I don't mean the old days like the first Gulf War, but I'm talking about like from 2000, late 2002, early 2003, up through, you know, roughly 2007, where they called it the Wild West. So there's plenty of areas around the world where that is still the case, okay, not just in Ukraine, okay. So life in those countries, if you go over there as a private security contractor, it's going to be wholly different than your experiences as a private security contractor in an area that used to be a war zone but is no longer considered a war zone. Doesn't mean it's not risky. Doesn't mean there aren't threats. Okay, It's just not the same. And the tempo, the operations, the way you go about doing things, what you can and can't get away with, what you get paid, everything. Everything changes. Uh, so just little things to keep in mind. Uh, we'll uh, probably at some point I'll devote a segment or two to specifically life as a private security contractor for those that want to become one. But there's plenty of resources out there, ample resources, both in books from the library, uh, people who've done it, uh, plenty of websites out there that can uh, give you at least the baseline basics of what you need to be prepared for if you're going to be a private security contractor. But I'd say that one thing you can do that you can extract even from what you see in some news outlets versus the movies is that if you are actually a private security contractor, okay, you can glean if you're if you're open enough, you can glean some of that from some of the movies from some of the books that are written but it's still not going to give you what you need okay you can't take that it's not going to work okay but it, it, it can at least be um like a, a a preface for okay but get on that starter contract get on that starter contract whether it's in saudi arabia or it's in kuwait qatar abu dhabi you know there's and, you know, and that's where a lot of them are. Uh, Israel, you usually have to have higher qualifications. You know, there's, you know, Jordan. I mean, just the list is almost endless. I mean, South America, Africa, uh, even in Europe. So, you know, there's places you can go that you can transition into that you can take those things as you grow and become more accomplished. You can either with other government agencies whether it's the U.S. government or a European government, okay, or a South American government, uh, usually it's through the, the, the host country that you reside in, uh, the contract that you're going to get on. Okay, that's not to say that there aren't other ways to get on contracts that have nothing to do with Uncle Sam or some of the others, but those are generally reserved for an elite few. 
okay, those who've really been around, and, uh, you know, it, it takes an awful lot of skill, a lot of little nuanced things. The higher you go, the further you go, the more, uh, and I'm not sure nuanced is the right word, but it, it, it kind of drives it at that, you know, it's that experience level, that maturity level, um, the way you got to go about doing things, uh, it just got to be a lot more nuanced. You, you, you know, uh, some would call it uh, just um, low level. You know, you, you got to blend in. You just, you know, you can't stick out like a sore thumb. Some countries and some contracts, that's okay. You can get away with that. But at the higher levels, you can't do it. So that said, <laughs> back to the topic, Kuwait. Friends, friends, and more friends. Yeah, I had my share of friends, and, and I stay in touch as best I can with most of them. Um, and, you know, some of these guys really went out of their way to really help me out. Um, and sometimes in ways that maybe I still don't quite understand or appreciate the degree or the level that it helped me out. Other times, I do. Uh, <coughs> and... One of them, uh, I forget the fellow's name. Um, it was at, uh, I believe it was an incident that happened at uh, Camp Virginia. I don't remember why, but we were arguing over the system or the techniques and, and all the stuff that went into searching some vehicles. And guys, I thought, weren't doing it right. They got mad at me because they thought I was taking too long to do it. And I was arguing that, you know, this is the way it needs to be done. And we do it this way every time, no matter how boring it becomes. Because if you don't, you risk missing something. And we've seen what happens when we miss stuff, okay? So we got into this argument. And this uh, fellow, and I was arguing with these guys. <coughs> and uh, as I recall, there were two or three black guys involved. And... Um, they were they were getting their their nose nose out of joint, uh, and along comes this fellow. I had, I don't recall having seen him prior to that day, and he was a tall cup of water. This tall black dude comes walking up. He basically intervenes on my behalf, and uh, later tells you know told them, you know uh, if you're if you're going to go at him, you got to get through me first. And I was like, holy wow! I don't know where this came from. Okay, but um, without overstating it, I mean, things happen for a reason. And I and I learned this over the many years that I was over there. Okay, call it God looking out for you, angel on your shoulder, whatever you want to call it. Okay, everything happens for a reason. We don't always understand it. We don't. We'll probably a lot of it. We'll never know for sure or figure it out. But everything ha happens for a reason. There's a purpose and a reason for everything. But this guy, I mean, it, it really changed the, the tone around there. And things were different as a result after that. Um, be, you know, it, because let's face it. If you're a private security contractor, you've probably experienced this. If you're not, it, it's not dissimilar to what you face back home, wherever that home is. Okay, clicks. Okay, certain people group together and they do things a certain way. They behave and act a certain way. And if you don't fall in line, if you don't behave the way they want you to, they try to make life difficult for you. Um, and we've seen it. You know, people get the boot for whatever reason. And oftentimes it, it was for no good reason other than they just didn't like the dude. 
Um, I mean, I've had that comment before. I think I've referenced it before, like in, in uh, Iraq uh, at this base where guys were complaining. And finally, one of them came up to me and said, you know, you're making us look bad. And I said, what? What do you mean I'm making you look bad? Well, because, you know, you're out there doing this and that and everything else and nobody else is doing it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. So you're saying I'm making you guys look bad because I'm out there taking my job seriously and doing my job right and because certain right people are taking note of it i'm not embarrassing you guys i'm not making you guys look bad you're embarrassing yourself and you're making us and everybody else look bad and you guys are risking us and everybody else losing the contract that was pretty much the end of the story but i mean those those sorts of things were not an uncommon thing they didn't happen a lot i want to put that in perspective but it was not necessarily an uncommon argument or, or uh, something that happened or occurred uh, because for whatever reason they don't take the job seriously okay and as some of us know okay if you can't be counted on to do the right thing and do your job right every day in an otherwise low-level environment <laughs> who on earth is going to want you at a high higher level okay so and and refrains we hear frequently is do your job and do the right thing even when you think nobody's listening and looking because i tell you folks and some of you know this there is always somebody looking there is always somebody listening so while i'm not afraid to stand up and say what i'm thinking okay okay you got to be careful what you say and do when and how you do it okay there's a there's a place and time for everything Okay. Now, that's not to say that there aren't times where it's like, okay, that's enough. Here it is. Okay. And you just say it. But for the most part, okay, keep everything in perspective. I guess that's kind of where I'm going with that one. So, with that said, the differences between, say, working in a truly high-risk or high-threat environment versus one that's not deemed to be high-risk or high-threat, for example, Kuwait. So, when we're not on duty, we're not working, we, at the time I was there anyway, we weren't officially allowed to carry weapons with us. Those, okay, um, when you're off duty. There, now, there were people that could, but, you know, it would depend on the contract that you were attached to. But most of us, uh, at least on the contract I was on, um, were not allowed to carry weapons when we weren't uh, working. That's not to say that we couldn't, like knives. Knives were permissible, but, you know, you, you, you weren't brandishing them. You didn't have them affixed to your hip, you know, um, wearing them overtly. So, you know, so I walked around frequently with, with multiple knives in various locations. They were hidden. They were concealed. Um, and I never had to use them, never had to pull them out. That wasn't to say that there weren't a couple or a few times that I thought I might have to, but that never occurred. So, you know, minding your P's and Q's. So a good one here is when I was at the uh, Seaside Resort at the Kempinski area. Okay, there was a fellow, and he probably was genuinely serious about it. I don't know. I never took him up on it, but he tried many times. He really wanted me to go visit the synagogue that he went to. And I'm like, well, you know, that would be cool. That would be interesting. I would love to get eyes on, hands on, and, and see this firsthand for myself, what it's all about, what, what, what it's like, and what, you know, this whole thing, rather than all this hearsay. But <laughs> I knew even then in that place that probably was not a good idea for a white American dude to go to a synagogue 
even if it was in Kuwait, he, you know, I mean, he swore up and down just like the guys did in Afghanistan and Iraq. I'd be safe. They'd be with me. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, and there are some adventurous souls that probably took people up on that. And trust me, I really wanted to. But there was something that told me no. So it's, you know, that little voice that I've talked about before. And some of you, maybe a lot of you know what I'm talking about. It's that little voice. As much as you want to or as much as you don't want to, because let's face it, sometimes that inner voice, that quiet little voice, that Jiminy Cricket tells you to do it, okay? You don't have to like it, but that's what you're supposed to do, okay? Or maybe it's what you think you really want to do, but you shouldn't be doing it, okay? Somebody else could probably get away with it, but not you, okay? But listen to that inner voice, because that Jiminy Cricket, <laughs> I mean, it's there for a reason, you know, it's been said before, er, you know, some book that somebody wrote uh, decades ago, everything I needed to know about life, I learned by the fifth grade. Okay. <laughs> I mean, little kids know. I mean, can we, can we get over on little kids? Yeah, but they know. I mean, for the most part, they know. It's kind of like the dog. Okay. The dog knows a good person when they sense one. Dog knows when you're not a good person. Okay. Now, I'm not talking about the canine dog that is trained for security and, and doesn't like anybody. <laughs> That's a little different. So, you know, there, there's basically an endless list of, of things, if I can recollect them all clearly, things that occurred in Kuwait that were, for me, they were kind of eye-openers. Um, you know, and, and without revealing too much detail, but uh, one in particular. So I'm, I'm in the, uh, oh, not not the defac area. I was I was at the um, base PX uh, BX whatever you want to call it there at Arifjan, and I think it was one of my days off, and I was in there buying stuff. I think primarily software for my computers so I could do whatever it is I I was trying to do, um, and, and I'm walking out, and I had noticed this this gal uh, kind of you know paying attention to me and and kind of. You know, I got the sense that she was not stalking, but she was trailing me, right? And uh, to be fair, I mean, she was a good-looking gal. But, of course, you know, I'm married. But So, anyway, so I'm walking out of the store, and I step outside, go outside the doors. I light up a cigarette because back then I smoked. And I was minding my own business. And she comes out, and she strikes up a conversation. And it went something like, you know, you look like a smart guy, like you know what you're doing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay <laughs> um you know and i'm paying attention to the people jumping off the diving boards because there was a big pool just almost a stone's throw away people were out there splashing around and and uh she's telling me this sad story about her computer it's on the fritz and uh her hard drive you know was having problems with her computer and she'd taken it to the it guys and and they were telling her to put it in the freezer and i said put your hard drive in the freezer why would they tell you to put the hard drive in the freezer she said well because it's got a virus and putting it in the freezer would stop the virus <laughs> oh man i still laugh about it she was serious she she thought they were serious and she took them at their word now i knew by this point you know that there was something not quite right with this gal uh you know she had seen too many things or too many things had happened to her whatever she <laughs> uh but she wanted me to go up to her room there in uh, the barracks. 
and help her with the computer and you know and don't worry about it you know you can come in you know and it's like well yeah you can you know if if the troop invites you you can go there but she's you know like my roommate's not there don't worry about it we'll be all alone and i'm kind of uh yeah tempting very tempting thank you but no uh, and i don't remember how the conversation went but so my point with that is that that was one of those incidents that i had with somebody that was in the military and we saw a fair amount of it there at Arifjan, if, if, if they were paying it, if the guys were paying attention, that a lot of these troops, because they were coming in, rotating in, usually from Iraq, um, and it was, you know, the downtime, their, their one week, their two weeks, or however many weeks before they had to go back, um, or before they rotated out and went home. And, but it was, that was one of those incidents that stuck with me. It's like, wow, this is a broken troop. This is a broken soldier, um, you know, and, you know, I mean, maybe guys are telling me, you know, Scott, maybe she just wanted to have a good time with you. I said, yeah, you know, maybe, but uh, as tempting as it was, no, didn't happen. And I can say with all sincerity to this day, all the years I spent over there, not once. And there were, I mean, when I say a multitude, I mean, just an, an incredible number of opportunities to do such things okay but i didn't yes tempting many of them were um and, uh, and, and some of them were not low-ranking people um but so it, you know if you're looking I, like i said before okay what happens in vegas stays in vegas man i'm telling you vegas has nothing on war zones and I'm just saying, if you've been there, you know what I'm saying, okay? You can quite literally get anything you want if you know the right people and or you have the money, okay? I mean, we had incidents, and this was at uh, Bagram in, in Afghanistan, okay? I know I'm, I'm leaping ahead, but, and I'd heard this two or three times, maybe more, actually, um, in, in my years there. But this one time in particular, we're in the defect there. I forget which one, but the one that I frequented the most because it was closest to where I resided. Um, and sitting there with two of the guys, we just, we're just carrying on a conversation, you know, nothing in particular. And this dude walks up to the table, sits down, and, my, you know, do you guys mind if I sit down? And, you know, just, you know, invited himself over. And it was kind of odd. And uh, he starts in with this conversation about uh, some I think he said, I'm pretty sure it was F-16 engines. Uh, and he was talking about the black market and people that were doing this and one thing or another and asked us if we knew anything about it. And we're looking at each other going, what? I mean, to this day, it's like we're sitting there minding our own business, three contractors, me and two of the other guys. And it's like this dude comes all the way over from, from at least a halfway point in the defect to where we were sits down and starts asking it's like what the <laughs> what did we you know what were we wearing what were we waving <laughs> but uh oddest thing strangest thing but yeah so uh whatever the black market uh, people were selling and trading um and i think i heard about something similar uh when i was in uh, in another part of afghanistan over at jbad uh or jalalabad whatever you want to call it uh we just called it jbad um you know, there was something similar going on out there as well. Uh, so, and of course, you know, munitions and weapons and all the other stuff that goes into it. 
but <laughs> you know and and i remember hearing about some of that stuff there in, in uh, kuwait as well so but mostly what i paid attention to because it mostly pertained to my job was all the other stuff you know that that uh, what they called contraband so whether it was girly magazines or it was videos of the same sort of thing alcohol and you know probably drugs as well but uh so there was an awful lot of that stuff going on out there and for the most part kind of like today i really don't care if that's what you want to do if that's your thing fine but just realize that when i'm on duty okay i'm doing my job okay so um while that's not to say that we didn't occasionally turn a blind eye to stuff that was otherwise like nah, eh, not a big deal whatever you know, the dude's been in a rough area. He's been out there for weeks or months. He just wants to chill out, you know, with a little booze. Not a big deal. As long as you don't cause any problems, you mind your P's and Q's. Kind of like today. I don't really care. You know, transients, homeless, whatever. You know, I don't care if you want to camp out there. Just mind your P's and Q's. Okay? Don't cause any problems. Uh, you know, that's that's my that was basically my take then. It's my it's my it's my take now. So, you know, a lot of that uh, back then anyway, you know, as I was still learning, uh, you know, and finding myself and, and, and finding my center in, in my private security career, you know, I mean, there was a conversation. So this stuff was part and parcel of a conversation I'd had with the guy earlier, you know, when we were talking about all this stuff, when we're searching and looking for things, it's like, you know, take into account who it is, where they're coming from, what they're doing. Uh, you know, yada, yada, went into a, a kind of a long thing. And it's kind of like, you know, if they're otherwise not causing any problems, if they're just trying to chill out and relax and take the edge off, you know, he went through this, you know, long story. He said, you know, so what? Let it go. Who cares? Um, you know, so unless it was overt or it was blatant or it was just over the top or the dude was just being a jerk or a dickhead about the whole thing or being really super smug and, and, and overly confident and stuff. Um, yeah, I got to a point where it's kind of like, you know, whatever, you know, um, because, I mean, I worked at places where, I don't know, called an organization, a cabal, whatever you want, where people were smuggling stuff in all the time through ECPs and you know, yeah, you could blow the whistle and bring a halt to it, and sometimes we did, but it's kind of like, eh, you just, you know, <laughs> sometimes there were people involved that were sometimes some heavy hitters, so you kind of wanted to be careful, you know, be careful where you step, you know, you don't want to step on that landmine, right? Um, you know, it's kind of like the old saying, be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it, and, you know, it, it you can cause a lot of harm to a lot of people, even ruin, destroy an entire contract. Okay, so you got to be careful how you go about doing it. So I'm not saying don't do the right thing, but you got to just sometimes ask yourself, you know, is it really worth it? Is this that big of a deal? Is it causing that much of a problem? Okay, uh, and and so I'll let that one rest right there. So, you know, to go back to, you know, and I think I've harkened on this before, you know, what's it like to be in a private security contractor? Well, even in and even with discussions I have guy, with guys occasionally to this day, it's like, it, you know, even on the most high speed stuff, um, there's there's plenty, perhaps ample moments of just uh, 
you know, drudgery, you know, where it's just wash, rinse, repeat. It's the same thing, you know, and if you're kind of an A-type personality, you know, you don't want to just stand around or sit around at the same place over and over and do the same thing every day. It gets repetitive and you get boring. But, you know, that's the way a lot of these private security contracts are. Just the way it is, most of them, maybe all of them at some point, uh, you know, and, and you just got to find ways to relieve or alleviate that boredom without compromising or causing problems. Uh, and that was a lot of that there in Kuwait, um, even, at, you know, to some extent, even in Iraq and in Afghanistan. I mean, you, you talk to guys um, in various disciplines, uh, you know, and I, I think often about the guys like on submarines where they say, you know, it was uh, weeks, months, maybe years um, of, of sheer boredom and then, you know, blammo, you know, and it only lasts for a few minutes. Uh, you know, pilots, the same thing. It's, you know, uh, soldiers, you know. So you, you have mostly tedium and boredom, mostly the same thing over and over. Uh, but, and you got to figure out how to keep that edge, how to stay alert, how not to fall asleep, how to not become relaxed overly relaxed and, and, and become lackadaisical about things because you become lackadaisical, you know, it's that old saying, complacency kills, and it does. And some of us have seen that, uh, maybe a lot of us. Uh, so it's, you know, it's that constant bouncing back and forth between the yellow, the amber, the orange, and the red. Um, and fortunately, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time in the red, um, at least a lot of us didn't have to. Um, there were moments of it, seconds, whatever, uh, but it happens. So to put a wrap on this one, I will finish it out with uh, an incident that happened. It was about the time that President Bush was going out there. Uh, it might have been the second or third time, but this time in particular. And a uh, guy comes through, and I was checking him and searching his vehicle and uh he just and as it turned out and i figured this out pretty quickly uh he was one of the advanced parties for the secret with the secret service that was out there and uh, he had some stuff in his vehicle in his trunk and i and i wanted to check and search it and he was getting a little bent out of shape and his nose out of joint and do you know who i am and yada yada and at one point it's kind of like well look yeah i do know who you are and i understand okay but I still have a job to do, and I've got to do it, and I've got to be able to answer, yes, I did this and that. And he said something. I said, look, I said, the area commander for Kuwait, the colonel, okay, he doesn't have a problem with me and other guys doing this. Okay, so why should you have a problem with it? And if you do have a problem with it, and I mentioned the colonel's name, I said, go talk to him. Okay, take your concerns to him, and if, and if, he, if he agrees, I'll hear about it. Well, long story short, I never did. Okay, so I guess where I'm going with that, folks, is that if you're doing your job and you do it right and you do it properly, and you don't get all smug or, or arrogant about it. You're just doing your job. Okay, then you'll be fine. Chances are you'll be fine. I mean, I had a similar situation where something was happening and I don't remember the guy's name, but he was with I uh, forget the actual acronym. But guys were likening it to Kuwait's version of the Secret Service or the uh, CIA. And he had an office out there. And, and I remember walking by it and, and, 
and we'd wave and say hi to each other as we went back and forth. But he went out of his way one day to thank me for my professionalism and doing my job the way I did it and handling it. Because he, you know, like I said, no matter where you are, somebody's going to hear or see what you're doing. Okay, stuff always gets back. So don't think that you're not being watched or listened to. Probably the only time you have any privacy at all is when you're in your own room, if you're the only one in that room, and or when you're in the shitter. But even then, <laughs> you know that that's not always the case, okay? Because uh, tricksters are everywhere. All right, so with that said, folks, I want to say thank you for taking the time. Thank you to you. Thank you, everyone, for taking time out of your day or evening to listen to me talk about my experiences as a private security contractor overseas. Um, and I want to thank my wife and my children and all the folks, male and female, who have been a part of and still are a part of my life in some way. Okay, I want to thank you again, Cabot Cohen and Colin Perry. And remember, folks, that the grass is not always greener on the other side. So be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. Stay humble. Stay safe. And keep others safe by staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real. Yeah.